Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got lots and lots to do today uh, because it is once again at the end of a very confusing week. And if anybody out there can make sense of it, I would very much appreciate it. I'd be very grateful for an explanation. Here is a brief summation of what has happened. Prime Minister Boris Johnson spent most of the week telling us he didn't want to impose further lockdown restrictions and then did it anyway. Shadow Health Secretary Jonathan Ashworth said a lockdown would be a disaster. Then two hours later, Labour leader Keir Starmer called for, yep, you've got it, a total lockdown. Now we've got Andy Burnham, Mayor of Manchester, resisting a Tier 3 lockdown that London wants to impose on him uh, that he actually asked for a few weeks ago, uh, but now he wants money for it. Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab says it can be enforced on the city by the government if necessary. Well, good luck with that, as I would say. As if that wasn't enough, we've got London Mayor Sadiq Khan pushing for a circuit breaker two-week shutdown for London, despite his entreaty just a few weeks ago to get everyone back into the bars and restaurants. And it's all happening as infections appear to be going down. We'll be getting John Rentals to unravel it all. Uh, he's the chief commentator, of course, at The Independent. I'm going with the Daily Mail's headline this morning, an epidemic of madness, because that's what it is. 03444991000. As I said to Julie Hartley Brewer, this is clearly no longer about the science. This is clearly no longer about anything but power politics, money, and grabbing uh, as much as you possibly can and trying to represent the people. But I don't know who's doing it. Throughout the show, we'll be bringing you the latest on the battle for hearts and minds in the North-South Divide. And we'll find out just what's been going on in Brussels as yet another deadline for the Brexit talks looms. Plus, we'll be checking in with our favourite travel guru, Simon Calder, on the world of travel as half-term approaches. Of course, we want to hear from you because you are the ones that tell us what's going on out there in the real world. Not in the Westminster bubble, uh, not inside the corridors of power, but actually in actual streets and towns in this city. What's going on? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Do tell us. 0344 499 1000. It's Friday, of course, so we will be doing the Perrier Awards in the company of Martha Malagon. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, there have been plenty of times during this pandemic where I've awoken to a kind of a dull thudding sound. And when I realise it's the inside of my head, uh, I just uh, get up anyway and go to work because that's all you can do. 
But quite frankly, this has been one of the most bizarre weeks, I think, of all weeks. We've now got a kind of standoff going on between Manchester and London, still unresolved, still as yet uh, to be given some kind of an end game because Andy Burnham apparently doesn't care about the science. Andy Burnham cares more about the money, whereas Sadiq Khan cares more about the science than he does about the money. He's willing to sacrifice businesses in London in order to save lives, apparently. But let me tell you, the construction of some of the science now is being highly uh, put into question. Uh, we've got scientists at the World Health Organization suggesting that only one in every 2,000 under 70s who contract COVID are killed by it. The estimate calculates that actually roughly 0.1% of those uh, are killed by flu when it infects them. But this is actually 0.5. So it's less than that. So the end result is that actually COVID is less dangerous, according to the World Health Organization, than flu. So what exactly is going on? The front page of the Daily Mail this morning paints a very stark picture. It says this. Half of England now hit by rules, even where cases are low. Confusion and fury over lockdowns set to ruin businesses. Health crisis looming over 27 million fewer GP appointments. And all on the day, they say, infections actually went down. Let's talk to John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. Let's hope he can make some sense of it all. John, a very good morning. <laughs> good morning, Mike. You know, it's uh, a confusing old picture, isn't it? Well, it's a bit confusing if you if you start putting out uh, uh, information uh, suggesting that uh, coronavirus is, is less bad for people than flu. Well, that's what the World uh, Health Organization says. Well, for people under the age of 70, yeah. I think. Yeah, well, but that's quite an important qualification. Well, right? I did say that. Uh, I did say for people. I did say for people under the age of seventy. I mean, eighty-two, right, is the average age of death in this country, no matter what you've got. Yes, no, I, I, I fully accept that. But I mean, if you want to, if 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 your policy is let them die, then I think you should. Uh, you, you well, there say is, that, that well, that's, that's not my policy is not let them die. But my policy is if you are saving some lives, right, because they are over the age of 70, whereas you're allowing all sorts of other terrible things to happen to people, which will include death, by the way, uh, people who are yeah. having heart attacks and strokes, as we saw yesterday uh, from the, uh, the British Heart Foundation figures, people who are losing their livelihoods. It's not just about letting people live or letting people die. You know, it's a much bigger bigger a fish to fry than that that's that's fine okay we, we I've, I've i've hauled you back onto the onto well, the no, shores you, of... no you accused me of something which is entirely untrue and you've now <laughs> retracted it which is quite right <laughs> well anyway let me let me tell you what happened this week which yes. was that Keir Starmer finally um decided to take a different position from the government mm. and uh, call for a two to three week uh, national lockdown. But as you rightly point out, uh, it doesn't appear that uh, Andy Burnham uh, and other elements of the Labour Party uh, in the north of England are wholly on board with this message. I mean, right. not, it, I, Andy Burnham seems to, he comes, I'm not sure if he is actually contradicting Keir Starmer, but he certainly comes across as sounding as if he's not in favour of uh, of uh, further restrictions are certainly not in favour of them unless they apply to the whole of the country. But mm. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. That no. Should, well, my sense you... of what Andy Burnham is doing is that he is politicking, he is positioning himself and he is attempting to get money before agreeing to the lockdown, which doesn't strike me as the most efficacious way to lead the city because he's clearly putting money ahead of health, isn't he? Well, uh, he wants to get the best deal for his... Uh, his electorate, and uh, that's what you would expect. Yeah, but you don't accuse me. I mean, you wouldn't accuse him of uh, letting people die, would you? 
Well, I, will, I might. I mean, you know, he's, he certainly seems to be holding things up at the yeah. moment. I mean, well, he is. You know, I mean, it is. It is possible. It would be possible to make that case. Now, I went. Uh, I, I mean, I, 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 yeah. You're right. I shouldn't have. Uh, uh, I, I shouldn't have accused you of having said that. <laughs> Don't but... worry. It's fine. I can take it. <laughs> and I won't accuse. I won't accuse Andy Burnham. Of, no, but of this is what. But this is why, John. I think it's very interesting because clearly um, there are now many positions that you can back with the science that you find to back it. Because there are people yeah. in science who will say that the lockdown uh, is insufficient if it's a tier two. Other people will say that the circuit breaker lockdown won't do any good. Other people will say it's absolutely necessary. And clearly now it's all about politics. It's all about power, isn't it? Well, uh, th- that depends what you mean. I mean, what are you suggesting that the whole thing is uh, is a giant hoax or a conspiracy? Oh, God, I mean, no. God no. Right. Have you had some well, kind of radioactive cornflakes or something this morning? You start accusing me of being <laughs> some kind of mad right winger who thinks that, you know, well, next what... thing next thing I'm gonna say is that, you know, it's been caused by five G. No, I'm not <laughs> saying any of those things. What I'm saying to you uh, is that because there are, are so many differing views on the science and because there is no absolute evidence and because the numbers are not convincing, you know, people keep saying, for example, oh, up in the west northwest of England, there are many more people in hospital than there were in March. Well, guess what? In March, March, the disease was mostly in the south of England. It wasn't in the north. That's why. They don't say there's more people in hospital in London than there were in March, because that wouldn't be true. Absolutely. I mean, if you're suggesting that, you know, different politicians are taking uh, different positions uh, to further their political careers. I mean, that's a bit cynical, but I mean, I think... I'm not saying uh, that either. That's that's three strikes and you're out. (laughs) (laughs) But what... But no, but when you say people are uh, taking up positions for, for reasons of power and money, yeah. what, do, what do you mean? Well, I think Andy Burnham is all about power and money. He's asking for more money, so that part is absolutely irrefutable. And he is claiming that he's representing the people of Manchester, but he apparently only cares for those who might lose their livelihoods rather than the ones who might die. Yeah, well, you'd, you'd, have, to, you'd have to ask him. But yeah, yeah fair enough. I mean, I think the, the point is, it's... It is possible for uh, politicians uh, of goodwill who mean who mean uh, the best to disagree with each other. Yes. And we've seen that in the government. Yes. I mean, there and, are, I, and I think are... and I think that's very much what's going on. And I'm not accusing any of them of doing it, you know, with with any sort of cynical aspect of. Uh, but they but they are flexing their muscles. But what what it's proving, John, is that there is no consensus on the science of what we should do next. I th- I, that's absolutely right. And uh, I think that actually Keir Starmer did us all a favour this week by uh, adopting a different position because that means we actually finally have a proper argument out mm. in public mm. uh, about uh, about the merits of a uh, two to three week lockdown. And I, I'd, I'd say Keir Starmer hasn't made that case, to be honest, I think. Uh, no, I don't think he has. And, and having <laughs> having asked for, uh, for medical evidence as to why the 10pm curfew should be put in place the week before, he's supplying no evidence that a, that a lockdown would, would, would make any difference. Uh, well, I mean, it would it would make a difference, but would it? It may be that all it does is is postpone the problem yeah. uh, for later at at a huge cost to people's livelihoods. I mean, you're absolutely you're absolutely right there. Um, but I thought what was interesting about Prime Minister's questions uh, this week was that Boris Johnson seemed to have uh, have some more fuel in his tank. He, he did. actually. He actually defended his position uh, extremely well. And I thought Keir Starmer, having decided to go out uh, on a limb and take a different position from the government, was unable to to land any punches. Yes. On- 
Yes, I agree. Basis. I absolutely agree with that. And I was quite surprised, actually, because I was expecting um, a much less kind of polite exchange. And I was expecting Keir Starmer to have a plan of really pushing on his uh, new suggestion and really putting Boris on the spot. But it kind of backfired yeah. on him, I thought. It did. And which is which, as you say, is surprising because we know that there are people in the government who uh, who are very close to Keir Starmer's position. And in fact, uh, you know, it has been reported that Boris Johnson at one point was on the brink of agreeing to a to a uh, circuit breaker yeah. lockdown and that Rishi Sunak had to sort of pull him back from uh, from that decision. Uh, well, all hail Rishi, I say. Well, exactly uh, but... right. But meanwhile, uh, Sadiq Khan, who we'll talk about a bit later on in the show with Susan Hall from the London Assembly, you know, seems to sort of go from one extreme to the other. He's now wanting more of a lockdown in London, um, wanting less ability for people to uh, continue with their livelihoods and to continue to make money through this particular problem. And meanwhile, um, the numbers of hospital admissions in London are nowhere near what they were uh, back in March. Uh, no, uh, well, uh, but I think he is in line with public opinion in London, which is, uh, and we've discussed this before, which is extremely uh, nervous and uh, in favour of more restrictions rather than rather than fewer. Well, I mean, that depends on which part of London you're in, I suppose. I mean, there's certainly quite a lot of people now on the streets. A guy uh, reported to me yesterday that he came in on a train from somewhere like Watford and it was the first time ever the train was actually full of people. The tubes are now much busier than they ever were. The streets are pretty busy this morning with cars and buses and all the rest of it. You know, there's a lot of people who now, because of the fact that furlough's running out and because of the fact that jobs are in short supply, are wanting to work because they fear losing a job and not getting another one. Yeah, well, I mean, it'll be, it will be an interesting test of Sadiq Khan's uh, political instincts if he has got himself on the wrong side of that one. Um, and it's also interesting that Andy Burnham is appearing to resist yeah. uh, uh, greater restrictions, where I thought public opinion, certainly in, in, in the North, was in favour of them. Uh, but he seems to be resisting and seems to be... Uh, benefiting from that uh, well, in, in the... exactly and I think I think people are as we've said before very fed up with all of what the, all of what's going on and until uh, they are convinced otherwise I think they don't really believe what they're being told by the government and I know that the, the opinion polls keep saying that everybody wants more restrictions but I you know you know what I think about that I'm not I'm not buying into that <laughs> at all but when you see things like the the, the the gym owner who was on Julie Hartley Brewer's show this morning in Liverpool who's now got thirty thousand pounds in a crowdfunding account to pay every single time they give him a fine you know it makes a mockery doesn't it of the whole system well it it does but i mean you would expect um small business owners especially owners of gyms to be against the restrictions i mean that's not that's not a surprise and there is a clearly a minority in the in public opinion which is very opposed to any sort of restrictions yeah but what i'm all, but, but what i'm saying john is that if you can just keep paying the fines then the restrictions are laughable aren't they well, I think you've put your finger on a, on a serious problem there, which is that a a temporary lockdown or any kind of lockdown, any kind of restriction, uh, is going to be undermined if people think that other people aren't going to yeah. obey the rules, and and that is the sort of dangerous uh, point where I think we, I mean, I think we're we're approaching it where people feel that you know there's no point uh, obeying these rules because other people aren't going to. Uh, and I think that is a that is a really dangerous position for the government to be in because it actually means that Keir Starmer's idea of a two to three week uh, national lockdown uh, is a non-starter because if if it if people aren't actually going to observe it, uh, then there's even less reason no. to do it. 
And I mean, there is certainly a purist argument about lockdowns, which would tell you that we've never really had a proper lockdown because a proper lockdown is the one that they had in China when people are told you don't go out of the house. I don't care what you do. You don't work. Uh, you don't move. If you can work from home, fine. But you basically don't go out for food shopping. You yeah. just don't go out. And that's impractical and we'll, we'll never do that. But as long as we've got people moving around, you know, it will never stop spreading. And that's, I think, the reality that the government needs to get their head around. Well, it, it did stop spreading in the sense that it was at a very low level for several months during the during the summer. During and we, the did summer have, yeah. we did have something approaching a proper lockdown in uh, March and April. I think I mean, it wasn't it wasn't actually government uh, ordered. I think people just decided to, to stay in there. In their well, people did. Yeah, them. people moved around a lot less. But I'll tell you what, when I went out of my flat in London, I've never seen my street so busy with bozos walking up and down, cycling. I've never seen so many people in the street. Normally, there's never been anybody, anybody there, but they all decided they suddenly needed exercise, you know? <laughs> yes, but I mean, that was that was a lockdown. I mean, it wasn't as strict as a, as, as a Chinese one, possibly, but it was it was a proper lockdown and people did stay in their homes. I mean, uh, I and... went to Waitrose every Saturday. It didn't sound like a lockdown to me. Yeah, well, uh, I, well, <laughs> so we don't know what caused the drop in infections uh, in, in, in April and May either. But I suspect that the fact that people stayed at home and uh, didn't interact uh, very much yeah. um, did actually have a, a, yeah, have no, a dramatic I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure it did. And by the same token, that. you could also argue that sending kids back to school and students back to university had a massive impact uh, on the rising levels of infection which indeed seems to be the case because an awful lot of people will tell you that particularly in the areas of the north of England where the infection rates have gone up, it's all gone up in, 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 in young age groups, students. Yes, certainly in, in the sort of student age group first and then it's spread to other age groups later, which is what... Well, uh, they're worried it's going to do that, but it's not... The point is, is everyone's being a little bit, uh, I would say, economical with the truth. You know, they're telling you things that they want to tell you and not telling you other things that they don't want you to know. Why do they want to tell you, Mike? Here, here you go again with your conspiracy theory. It's theories. not a conspiracy theory. Because but, but, if you, well, if, well, all right, well, if you tell me, right, when you look at the graph that, that was produced by Sir Patrick Valance, in which it said that 50,000 people would be infected every single day, that hasn't happened, yeah. right? So we've now got no, f around um, about 15,000 of a rolling increase going on, right? 15,000 a day. Yeah. That's completely plateaued. It's flat. That's what it looks like. That's but, how the graph looks. Well, that we hope so. Uh, well, no, those are the facts. Those are the that, that's what the graph looks like. You can tell no, me, are... you can tell me that it will go up, but it's not going up at the moment. No, it is not. Though no, that that Patrick Valance uh, graph showing exponential growth was was a mistake presentationally. I okay. think he was trying to. I think he was trying to illustrate the the, the, the principle of exponential growth. I thought that was an, that was a, a foolish thing to do. Because it means that uh, every, you know people look at it and say, "Well, it's not that bad." Well, so here's the graph here, right? Here it is. There's, yeah, no, there's the line. Graph. It's there. You yeah. can see it, right? It's not going no, up. It's not. It's not. It's not going up. Okay. <laughs> the red line is the one that that Valance drew, which is rubbish. Simple as yeah, that. No, and those those are facts. It is not conspiracy no, theory. It's a fact. Going have been going up. Uh, I think there's no question about that. We hope that they'll be leveling off. Uh, we hope to get some some more data today at noon, I think. Uh, and, you know, we, we hope that that will show some some kind of plateauing. Cause that not much be, of a uh, policy, that is it? Hope. Let's hope for the best, well, shall we? Yeah, I'm not I'm not in charge. Mike, Thank so God I for have, that. 
I have to hope. <laughs> I know you do. I know. Listen, I have to go as well because I'm being told that I have to go by my producer who I have to live by her guidance. Otherwise, you know, things will not turn out well for either of us. John, thank you very much indeed. Have a great weekend. John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. He hopes that things will show. Actually, I think that the infections are going up. Some people are hoping for that so that they can put the lockdown on. I don't think that's really the best public policy. Do you? I'm starting to think I should go with Andy Burnham on this one. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk now, though, to Professor Annan Menon, director of the UK in A Change in Europe, because, of course, uh, if it wasn't for COVID, this would probably be the lead story. Brexit because today is yet another deadline uh, for the Brexit talks. Yesterday we spoke to Alex Phillips, former Brexit Party MEP. She seemed pretty convinced that there might be another couple of weeks to go uh, before any deadline was breached and any kind of walking away was done. Anand, uh, a very good morning to you. What do you make of that, uh, that synopsis? Do you think another couple of weeks, maybe? Hi, Mike. Yeah, I think realistically, unless there's something in the way of an agreement by the middle of November, then we're going to run out of time. Because remember... We haven't actually got a text yet. These mm. treaties take time to write. They take time for everyone to approve. And then the European Parliament has to vote on this. And I think about a month or so tops. Yeah. I mean, the European Parliament, not a place where people like doing an awful lot of work in the actual chamber. I don't know whether this is all done in committee stages and stuff like that. But I mean, are they even sitting at the moment? They are. And... The, for this, they'd have to look at it in committee and then take it to a plenary. Now, there's time to do that with the plenary in uh, December, right. but they need to have a draft. And, of course, one of the things about the negotiations to date is they don't have a draft treaty drafted as yet. Right. Because one of the other problems I'm hearing about at the moment is that if there is to be a no-deal Brexit, we're kind of running out of time for that to be declared. Because if there is to be one, then there needs to be a few um, sort of planks put in place, as it were. Yeah, that's true, though it's worth saying that the gap between deal and no deal is relatively small. So many of the things we need to do for no deal, we're going to have to do for a deal as well. So things like these infamous lorry parks in Kent, we're going to need them even if we get a deal. So in a sense, the preparations can keep going, but they'll be more needed for no deal than they would for a deal. Right. So what's going on today, as far as you're aware? I mean, is there a conversation about whether we should do a bit of an extension and just say, let's keep talking up until the end of October, at the very least, maybe into November? Um, or are they just kind of carrying on as if there is no deadline? Well, I mean, I should hedge this by saying I'm not a confidant of the prime minister, so I don't know exactly what's going on. Well, but I was hoping you were confident of some of the participants. <laughs> My guess from the outside is there's a conversation that is going on inside number 10. And there are some people who think, look, if the EU aren't going to make concessions, we should walk. And there are others saying, look, a deal is gettable. We should try and get it. And we'll find out when the prime minister makes his statement later. Mm. I would be surprised if he walked now, partly because I think if he's going to walk, he'll do it later. Partly because I think the prime minister would still rather have a deal than a no deal outcome. Yeah, I think so. And what about the state aid conversation? Because we've talked quite a bit uh, this week and last about kind of the fisheries and everybody kind of knows where where everyone stands on that. And Martin Daubney made a very interesting argument to me uh, just the other day about how the French and Macron really need to get something out of the fishing conversation, because if they don't, there's quite a heavy political price to pay very possibly in those uh, towns along the coast of northern France. But and yep. aside from all of that, um, the, what's, the, what's the kind of range when it comes to state aid um, that, that Britain and Europe are discussing? What's the, what, you know, what's the best case scenario for the UK and the worst case scenario? 
Well, the first thing to say about state aid is just how weird it is that a Conservative government is fighting against state aid restrictions, because for many years in the European Union, the French in particular used to moan about state aid restrictions that they saw the Brits as having imposed on the EU. So right. there's, a, there's a sort of paradox going on here. I think what both sides... There is a there is an agreement to be had here if the European Union will realise that the UK isn't going to have an agreement that says we abide by EU law, but yet we can agree limits to state aid beyond which the other side has the right to retaliate with uh, trade remedies. So there is a way of doing it. The, the initial EU position on state aid was a very extreme one. It basically said, here's EU law, you're going to follow it. And right. of course, number 10 said... Yeah, and number 10 has to say that because number 10 cannot uh, come out of these talks with anything resembling the EU um, holding anything over the UK's head, surely? Yeah, well, I think for number 10, there is a matter of principle, which is if we leave the European Union, what that means is we're not bound by their laws. We can argue about the practicalities. I, for one, am slightly sceptical about whether a government, particularly in the wake of COVID, is ever going to manage to spend enough on subsidies to breach those laws. I, I think looking back in five years' time, we'll find that everything that's done in the way of subsidies would have been consistent with EU law. Mm. But this is a matter of principle, not of, pra of, of, of practicalities. It is saying... The point of Brexit is to be free of your laws, so don't try and impose them on us as part of a trade deal. Yeah, and that would seem to be a relatively logical position to hold. And what about some of the other participants in the in the, in the conversation? You know, obviously we know where France and Germany stand, but what about some of the other uh, European countries that might be slightly, say, less tolerant of the whole Brexit process, who might be saying, just let them go and, you know, find their own feet? Well, I think that's absolutely the case. You know, Croatia doesn't do much trade with us and they're relatively relaxed compared to the French. Yeah. But I think fundamental principle in the EU now is even though every state has a different approach to this, every state would approach the negotiations slightly differently. They've agreed that they're going to keep a common front, not because they agree, but because there's so much else they disagree on that they've decided that Brexit is one area where they can't afford to fight amongst themselves. So they'll stick with Michel Barnier. And I don't think they'll let those differences come out in public. No, I think that's probably true. So, I mean, presumably by the end of today, there will have to be some kind of statement issued uh, jointly or, you know, individually by both parties, right? Well, there will be a statement by the Prime Minister. David Frost indicated yesterday that at some point today, the Prime Minister is going to make a statement in which he responds to what was, from his point of view, a rather disappointing uh communique issued by the European Council yesterday, because what the European Council yesterday said is, we'll keep going with the negotiations, but they didn't say we're going to speed them up or intensify them. And they also said, we're waiting for the Brits to make concessions, which isn't what the Prime Minister had wanted to hear from them. No, of course. Well, let's see. I dare say we'll be talking about this for some few more weeks to come. Uh, Professor Anand Menon, <laughs> the Director of the UK to Change Europe. Thanks very much indeed. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Patrick Christie's now, Conservative broadcaster, to see uh, what the mood of the city is. Patrick, very good morning. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. I mean, some people have said to me, look, Manchester is a, is a city where there's been all sorts of illegal raves going on, where people have been partying. It's a party mm. city. Uh, mm. They've got students there. This is why the lockdown is necessary. I mean, you know uh, me. I'm not particularly in favour of shutting everything down because I'm not sure it makes any difference anyway. What are you mm. seeing and hearing on the streets, Patrick? Yeah, it is very much a mixed bag at the moment, actually. What's going on in Manchester at the minute is, is fascinating, and that's not a phrase that you get to say very often, actually. We've not been in this kind of a frenzy since the Jeremy Kyle show launched. Um, yeah. But Andy Burnham, obviously the mayor of Greater Manchester, 
Uh, he promised to eradicate homelessness and instead managed to double it. But he had his kind of Martin Luther King moment yesterday on the steps of Manchester Library, didn't he? Saying, we won't go into tier three. It will be disastrous for our economy and we'd never recover. And you kind of hit the nail on the head there earlier when you were talking to, to, to that caller there, which is basically this is about money, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, we agree to, or the government agrees rather, to pay essentially 80% of people's wages and, and give tens of millions as well for, for, for businesses, which actually, in the grand scheme of things, is probably fair enough if you are going to thrust these people into another lockdown, uh, they need to allow it. Where it all falls down a little bit is, um, is saying that actually lockdown will be completely disastrous, the economy would never recover, but I'll do it if the entire country does it. And that's kind of socialism, isn't it, really? I'm poor now, you're poor yeah. now. It's OK, because everybody's poor now. Right. The but he's, he's also playing this kind of north-south divide card, which, which Jackie yeah. clearly has re reacted to. Yeah. You know, it's not fair. You're not doing it in the south. We've been well, like this for a while in the north. I mean, it doesn't seem to me that Manchester's been under terrible restrictions, has it? No, it, well, it's not been at all. And also, it's not really a north-south divide. I mean... It, it, the north-south divide is the fact there are more people getting ill in the north. Mm. I mean, that, that's basically it. You know, nine out of ten boroughs in Greater Manchester have seen a drastic increase in coronavirus cases in the last week alone. Right. Of those nine boroughs, uh, cases rose between 21 and 32 percent in each of those boroughs. And of the, of the 130 or so people who died from COVID yesterday, 20 of them were in Greater Manchester. Although... Obviously, the way we've been calculating these COVID deaths in this country, maybe one of them went skydiving, forgot his parachute and somehow died of coronavirus. But uh, this is this is where we are at the minute, which is it is worse in the north and it is worse in the northwest. So it's not unreasonable, therefore, that the northwest should face tighter restrictions. Of course, the main question is whether or not we should be having any of these restrictions at all. And Andy Burnham is playing quite a high risk game here by backing Sage as is Keir Starmer in the way that they've done, because... You know, Sage brought you such things as 50,000 cases a day by mid-October. Well, we're in mid-October and that's not happened, hasn't it? Uh, the hospitality sector, they've been blaming on loads of stuff, but there's no evidence there really to suggest that no. it's as bad as it and was. And also, so, the other thing we know, Patrick, is all of the local lockdowns that have taken place, by far and away the vast majority of those places, uh, has seen an increase in infections, yeah. despite the fact that lockdowns have going on. And you're right to talk about the death rates, because I'm looking here at some figures. Fewer than 15% of patients admitted to hospital with COVID-19 since the beginning of December have died from the mm. disease. And that's half the death rate that it was back in the spring, right? So uh, it's fallen even further when you when you get to the death rate for patients who needed intensive care. It's gone from 39% uh, down to 11%. So, mm. you know, there's absolutely no evidence. In fact, there's quite a lot of evidence to say that it's not as bad as it was. Yeah, well, well, that's it, isn't it, completely? I think what we're actually witnessing here is this almost kind of beautiful, slightly masochistic game of political chess that we've got going on at the minute. With Sir Keir Starmer obviously wants this national circuit breaker. He's saying it's because he wants to save lives. It's not. In my opinion, it's because he wants to just essentially ruin the economy so people vote for socialism. Mm. Then you've got Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester, who's positioning himself in a red wall area where Tories pinched four seats from Labour at the last general election, positioning himself as the man who cares about saving business. And and this is interesting, really, because actually between that kind of pincer movement, what we might see now is is people like your last caller, actually, I, I, I believe, who, who maybe lent the Tories their vote at the last general mm. election, now starting between Keir Starmer, who uh, claims to care about life, and Andy Burnham, who claims to care about money, actually start to move back towards the Labour Party now. It's, um, it is an interesting time at the moment. I'll tell you who the people who've really got egg on their face about this are, is the Scousers. Yeah. Because they just they just swallowed this. They just went with it. They just went, yeah, you know what, we'll go into restrictions. And they didn't really ask for or demand or or put up any kind of no. ransom like Andy Burnham has. I mean, that's going to go down like a cup of cold sick on Mersey. Does, does it not seem to be a bit of a split, though, between Anderson and Steve Rotherham, where there's two kind of leaders, both of whom think different things. And they're yeah. probably now <laughs> thinking to themselves, well, we should have asked for some more money at least, you know?
Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And I can't believe it. You know, Boris Johnson is supposedly banned from the city of Liverpool. And then at the first time you get him on the phone, it's all very, oh, yes, Boris, OK, we'll do what you say. Yeah, you know, right. So, you know, well, the other, the other interesting development this morning, Patrick, is Dominic Raab appearing on a TV yeah. interview to say that if necessary, we will impose uh, the tier three lockdown on Manchester. I'm not sure what he's got in mind, whether it's going to be him and a bunch of guys wearing judo suits standing yeah. on the city uh, limits <laughs> or making sure that nobody does anything they're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah, that's, to be honest with you, I actually wouldn't be surprised anymore. It is 2020. But um, I, I think it's going to be a very, very tricky thing for them to do, not least because actually there are several MPs in their local in the Greater Manchester area that have come out against this now. Sir Graham Brady, of course, yeah. uh, who's kind of a, a big deal in the Tory party. William Ragg, Hazel yeah. Grove MP, somebody's got to be. Uh, Jake Berry, Rosendale and Darwin, former Northern Powerhouse Minister, of course. He's come out now and said that this would be an absolutely terrible idea. So for the Conservative Party to enforce something on an area that... Frankly, uh, only only voted Tory because Jeremy Corbyn was so awful, mm. uh, um, you know, against the advice of the local mayor, most of the local population and a lot of the local MPs would be pretty unheard of. So it is going to be very, very difficult for the Conservative Party to just steamroll this through, I think, really, unless, like I suspect they might have done, they've just stopped caring about getting yeah. reacted. Well, I mean, it's a long way off. And I mean, it may well be that there's no point in worrying about four years from now, because at the moment, yeah. you know, four years from now, literally, we could all be eating our own yeah. pets, you know, the way <laughs> things are going. So you, know, you might not want to make too many plans. Yeah, we'll all be naked outside Aldi, fighting each other for scraps of food by then, won't we? Just wearing loincloths. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they're doing it. But it, but there is actually, just in terms of the actual of the mood on the ground, as it were, um, there, there is a real split here. There are people. There are lots of people who are genuinely terrified about the infection rates uh, and about dying, frankly, uh, and, and are willing to compensate and compromise. Sorry, uh, on local businesses for that. Um, however, there are just essentially anyone who owns a business is absolutely terrified of, of essentially eating rats for the next. Yeah. 20 Years closing. It is a real split here. So, um, you know, it's, it's not like there's kind of uh, mass, you know, popularity for one option over the other. People are very undecided about this. Yeah. Patrick, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Patrick Christie's Conservative broadcaster there with uh, the view from Manchester because uh, Andy Burnham still standing up against Tory policy, against Boris Johnson, against the plan to put Manchester into Tier 3. Lancashire has already made an agreement to go into Tier 3. Wales we are looking at now as a possibility of going uh, into a two-week, um, what they call circuit breaker lockdown, which means everything shuts down. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 1 size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, it's time for our homeschooling segment. Some of you uh, may have your kids back from school because it is half term in some parts of the country. Uh, there will be more half term action coming up, of course, next week as well, uh, as many people uh, go abroad. Some people don't go abroad. Some people stay home. Uh, but we're keeping the homeschooling thing going because it's proved uh, so educational and so helpful uh, to an awful lot of people. Today, uh, I'm delighted to say we've got Cara, G- Cara Gamble with us, financial journalist and blogger at your best friend's guide to cash.co.uk. Cara, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Hi there, how are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on to talk to us about this, because a lot of parents that I talk to say, you know, the trouble with our kids and their schooling and their education is they don't really get taught about money. And I suppose that's because a lot of schools think that you as parents should teach them about money. Um, but there are kind of some gaping holes, aren't there, in, um, in our kids' knowledge, just about how the financial systems work, in, uh, for one thing. Well, absolutely. As parents, we are our children's biggest influence um, um, to create their financial habits. Yet research from Yorkshire Building Society shows that only a quarter of parents actually discuss money at all with their children. And um, research from the Money Advice Service shows that by the time a child is seven, they've already determined what their lifelong spending habits will be. So whether they're going to splash the cash or be a savvy um, shopper is already determined when they hit junior school. Right. Interesting. Because, um, you know, my own children obviously um, talk to me about money a fair amount. And, and, you know, they ask questions like, for example, what, you know, how does a credit rating work? And you know, I must admit, it's not that easy for me to explain because even the credit agencies will never tell me how it works because they, they don't want me to know. <laughs> Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing is, is that it's, you know, while your child might want to know how compound interest works, for instance, maybe not, but they're not going to be open to a 15 minute PowerPoint presentation. Mm. So the idea is is to try and make money as much of a part of your conversation on the regular um, so that it just becomes um, not a taboo subject. When I was growing up, a lot of us were children were just totally excluded from the bills you know, paying the bills and yeah. it was don't interrupt your parents when they're discussing it. But now if you can do it in a in a age appropriate way, it just becomes like a normal subject to discuss. Oh, for sure. I mean, I certainly remember my, my parents, obviously, uh, quite a long time ago when, when, when things were very different, would never talk about money. If anybody mentioned money to my father, it was a kind of it immediately shut down and there was nobody's business but his as to what will happen to the money in the house, you know. Um, yeah. But presumably, if you have these conversations with kids, you want to start giving them pocket money at a certain age. I mean, what sort of age would you start giving pocket money at, would you say? Well, you can give, it depends on your child, um, but I would always say the earlier the better mm-hmm. because it teaches children um, the value of financial reward as well. I mean, we don't go to work for free, um, so we go to earn money to pay the bills. So it's a good kind of way to teach your children that there is a correlation between that, um, working hard and earning money, but also it can really help children learn how to budget. So when they're little, maybe pay them once a week, yeah. but when they're a teenager, spread it out to a fortnight or once a month so they can get used to an adult salary right and so would you also give them money 
as pocket money, even if it wasn't for a particular exchange of, of work for money kind of thing, you know, like, would they have to do something for it? Well, yeah, I mean, some families, when I was right growing up, my parents said that you did chores because you were part of the household, didn't mm. you? They weren't going to pay us to right. empty the dishwasher. But I do think that if they go above and beyond, um, you know, the, the bare basic chores that they're expected to do in the home, I think that's a great idea. Plus, they're going to get, um, they might get money for their birthdays or from their grandparents. And you can help them kind of discuss what they're going to do with that money. Are they going to save part of it? Are they going to spend some of it, give some to charity, mm. anything like that? And one of the things that I've found, which is quite sort of insidious nowadays, is a lot of the gaming companies will have not so much a hookup directly to, say, a, a kid's bank account or, or a credit card, but they will have a sort of an ability to create um, credits, for want of a better word, which are actually like money, where they can gamble with them, they can use them for things, they can buy things with them on the game. You know, I mean, that's something that's relatively new, I suppose. But what would you say to parents who, who struggle with that kind of thing? Well, I think the thing is, is that for most of us, I mean, I'm not a gamer. I don't really have experience myself. And I think the trick is, is to figure out what it is they're interacting with. Um, and, you know, theoretically, it's not necessarily a bad idea for children to learn about how to use um, virtual cash. I mean, because most of our spending is cashless yeah. these days. Um, so there are ways to discuss that and it's not just a magic hole in the wall when you go to the ATM, um, despite what some children think, you know, you have to kind of explain how it works. There's actually a cashless monopoly game out now, instead of using the, right. the banknotes, you use a card. Yeah. Because again, one of the subjects that comes up from time to time with, with some parents and their children is the subject of a mortgage, you know, like the whole kind of concept of a mortgage, I think is kind of mind blowing to kids. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they can't imagine how much it costs to buy a house. Uh, you know, I asked my daughter recently, and she thought it cost 150 pounds, and she's seven. <laughs> right. If and only. Like, yeah, I know. And so I tried to explain to her, like, okay, well, how long would that take for you to, you know, save up for that? Yeah. And, um, you know, it kind of falls on deaf ears. But the point is, is that if you keep talking about it, eventually it's going to stick in their minds exactly right and so would you recommend then that say at what age would you get them a bank account maybe well you can get i'm actually um getting my daughter a go henry card she's seven yeah and we've, in the past couple of years i've done these um savings jars so she has three glass jars and one's for spending one's for saving and one's for sharing and then she can put her coins into the various pots and decide how she's going to use that money mm. but now that she's a bit older and because of lockdown she you know there's no people aren't spending cash now she did say it was a great time to get money from the tooth fairy because nobody will take her cash so i have to um spend on my card right um, and then that's when i thought okay it's time to get her a, a card so it's a go henry card is so you just you can load up money they can it's all run by the parents but it gives the children a sense of independence and gets them used to thinking about how much is in there and what it will spend the money on. Yeah, okay. And that, yeah, I've heard people talk about those before and it also gets them to the point where they have to understand that they can only spend what they have as opposed to sort of spending what they don't have on the basis of well, that's what you do, so we could do it too. Yeah, and I do, ever since uh, my daughter Audrey was little and we used to play shops and they, it would the cash register would come with a plastic card yeah. and they always call it a credit card. And I say, no, it's a debit card. We, are, we pay with the money we already have in this house. Mm. And I've said it so often. I've heard her say it out loud. And I think it just becomes part of their vocabulary. 
um, in the way that also, for instance, I always say parents don't say you can't afford it, but say that's how we don't choose to spend our money that way. Right. Okay. And it just kind of it shows that you're in a bit of control, but without creating anxieties in children. Yes, because as they get a bit older as well, and they become teenagers, and particularly sort of fifteen, sixteen, they start to go out with their friends. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've got a, a, a son of that age, and I keep trying to sort of impress upon him that you know, if he wants to go out, he can't just come up to me and say, "I haven't got any money. I'm going out. Can I have a fiver?" You have to kind of structure it, and you have to try and be relatively, um, you know, um, able to plan. So if you know you're going out with your friends on Friday, then save up the money that you've already got, right? Yeah, exactly. It's about making it last. Yeah. I know. I remember when I moved to England from Canada, going from being paid every two weeks to being paid monthly. Yeah. I was twenty. And it was a massive struggle to get used to. So I think if you can kind of teach children, teenagers to get used to having it on that kind of timeline as well to make the money last for several weeks, um, you know, it's a really good habit to get into and it'll do them well when yeah. they're entering adulthood. No, absolutely right. Cara, great. Thanks very much indeed. If people want to look at your, um, uh, your blog to get some more information, tell us where they can find it. Um, my blog is your best friend's guide to cash.co.uk or you can follow me on Instagram at um, your best friend's guide to cash. Fantastic. Cara Gamble, financial journalist and blogger at your best friend's guide to cash.co.uk. Uh, always give your children uh, the benefit of the doubt would be my uh, suggestion and always make sure that they have a good idea about what money is, where it comes from, how you get it and where you spend it so that they don't start getting sort of profligate with it uh, and spend money that they don't have, especially if it's your money. That they're spending. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.48, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Peria Awards. Happy to report full compliance today on the uh, arm-waving exercises. It's time uh, to welcome Martin Malagon. A uh, very good afternoon to you. Thank you very much. Uh, there may have been some threats. Yeah, good. Uh, well, sometimes you need to, you know... Targeted at the, the people in the control you need room. Sometimes uh, you need to make a few threats. Well, yeah, listen, it was nothing serious. That's all right. It's just... Uh, sure, it's know. entirely within the rules. It was all banter. Banter. It was all banter. You get away with a lot Banter that way. is good, isn't very it? Very good. It is. Well, Always. Anyway, good afternoon. Thank you very much. It's a long week. It has been a long week. It's been a long year, yeah, to be honest. <laughs> I know. I just want to sleep until 2021 at this point. Yeah. Point. Well, I'm afraid that may be all you're able to do Yay. pretty soon. Just sleep. Well, go home, me. sleep. Wake well, up, go to work. Yeah. That's it. I want to save so much money. It's uh, great, isn't it? Anyway, good afternoon. Uh, thank you And very welcome much. to thank the Perry Awards. Yes. This is where we look back over the past week of the so-called so Independent called. Republic of Mike Graham mm. on Talk Radio. Yes. And choose a favourite moment. As it's tradition, Mike, the first Perry goes to you. Thank you. And it's for your performance of how you speak when you wear a mask. <laughs> it doesn't really sound like that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, yeah. Right. It's like, right. it is, yeah, it's a face covering. That's <laughs> also a face cover. Your hand is a face covering. Face snappy, as Pete Hitchens yes, calls it. Yes, he likes to do that. I saw you going to a bit of a spat with Piers uh, after the show yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not see that. More clashing of the titans. That's great, isn't yeah. it? Setting the agenda. Absolutely. Here we are. Yes. Caller Philip in Accrington provided the surprise dog of the week. 
Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm very well indeed, sir. What can I do for you? It was a loud dog as well. You know, well. I didn't even hear that. I missed yeah, that one. Yeah. Well, well spotted. Because it was just that moment. Because normally when you have a dog in the background, mm. like they come back and go yeah. and they come back. But this one was just that moment. So I can only off. assume that a door must have been shut somewhere. Must have been, yeah. To uh, yeah. keep it um, Well done. Well and and it's a, it's an early one this week. Uh, this week's much anticipated James Larvin Perry Award for mm. technical difficulties goes to Dr. Tosh Warwick, who came on the show yesterday to talk about <laughs> a time bridge, but it didn't go very well. I think we've got Dr. Tosh back. Let's try again, Dr. Warwick. Hi, how are we doing? Okay. That sounds a lot better. There we are. Sorry now, about that. Third time, lucky mate. No, I, I know. He's listen. Sometimes these things are sent to try us. You know. I've made a mistake, man. I've That's the, the wrong clip. I put the wrong clip. So that's the Larvin. Uh, well, that is a double Larvin. Is that, it's a double Larvin. Before? I've Larvin myself. It's a double Larvin incompetence report at times two. I just didn't export the right one. No. So uh, I can only apologise. That's fine. Issue myself with an incompetence Please report do. live on air. Uh, well, just imagine that what the two previous clips were. Yeah. So basically what happened is that we went to him for mm. the first time. Yeah. And um, it didn't work. No. We had to ask him to, um, like I don't know, move a little bit closer yes. to the mic or something. Then uh, he did do that, but yeah. it wasn't better at it all. It wasn't any good. And then we got him on the phone and that was it yeah so i've put the wrong clip never in. mind but well, you know okay yeah well do i might bring it to you next week bring it back next week why not yes i'll try absolutely thank Good you idea. very much for being so well understanding done. not at all uh it happens but it, anyway listen. no don't do not worry because it's not been the only technical <laughs> difficulty of the week there's no, been plenty i'm sure um uh during pmqs on wednesday uh we didn't quite hear what conservative mp lee anderson had to say of Labour and councils and Labour MPs. Last December, my friends, family and constituents voted for change. They want to see the glory days return to... Glory days return to... We have Lee Anderson uh, standing there. We've just lost his uh, his question. We did. Well, I didn't know what he was going to say next, so I couldn't fill in the gaps. No, of course not. Sadly. Um, It's happened with Simon Calder again today. Yes. Keep freezing. Angela Levin Mm -hmm. happened again. I can only assume sabotage. Well, do you know, a lot of people would like to see us fail. Yeah. Uh, we will fight on. Oh, yeah. You Definitely. know, because we're winning. Definitely. And that's what we do. Hey. Uh, another one for you, Mike. Uh, yes. Earlier in the week, you were talking about Dominic West, yes. the actor, and you showed your proficient language skills. Arrivederci, matey. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he is in Rome. He is in Rome. And he's gone um, back there as well. He's gone but back there. It's no problem this... because his marriage is very strong. Yeah. According to Mrs. West. Good luck with that. Did you do you remember Little Britain the show? I do. Um, they used to have one of the sketches used to be this like uh, David Williams and no. Matt Lucas like doing this kind of it was scene based like everything on, was on fine. Yeah, the, the sort of David Meller thing wasn't yeah. it? David Meller MP. Which I didn't know what it was mm. until like a while ago. Yes, because people would reference it about something yeah. else. Then yeah, yeah. Always go out the front of the house, stand by mm. the wife who says she's standing by you. Yeah. It's always a sure sign of uh, yeah. defeat. It's always like very sincere yes, and, and honest, absolutely. isn't it? Yeah. Um, leader of Preston City Council, Matthew Brown, was mm. also a victim of James Larvin, I've got to report. Trying to have conversations with the government to try and clarify a few things. Yeah, we've, we've met with government on Friday. This... Oh, Matthew <laughs> seems to have disappeared already. We'll get him back. <laughs> Followed by two sounds that sounded like swallowing. Didn't yes. It? No, I didn't I, catch I, I, that. I think I did do that. Really? No. <laughs> Was that you swallowing? I'm okay. So... All right. Sorry. My mistake. <laughs> I'm very tired. I know. Uh, on Wednesday, you were speaking to Neil Oliver, as yes. always. You yes. do on a Wednesday. Mm. Uh, you were talking about journalists, and you delivered the harsh rant of the week. 
I think they've just got lonely, desperate, ghastly lives, some of these people, uh, because I know a lot of journalists and most of them are psychopaths and most of them are actually very lonely people. They can't get on with anyone. So I imagine what they actually enjoy doing is to actually kind of, you know, frighten everyone uh, because they become obsessed. I mean, look at Robert Peston. Look at uh, Beth Rigby. Look at Laura Kunzberg. I mean, would you want to sit with any of those people on a long train journey? I don't think so. (laughs) I knew a journalist. Well, I didn't say all. I said most of them. I said most of them are psychopaths. You know, not all of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say all. Yeah. I leave you a door to get out there. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Well done. Sorry harsh, about but that not too to, harsh. to the three stooges. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's obviously. And uh, finally, for the last couple of weeks, we've been blessed uh, with uh, top quality rat chat. Yes. Um, this week, though, Lewis McLeod and yourself win the perrier for the cow chat of the week. So they've closed our roads, so we're having to climb over cows to get a pint of milk in the morning at the, the local well, garage. Just get, it, just get it out of the cow. It's like, <laughs> exactly. Cut out the middleman. <laughs> but they apparently there's a thing in the paper. They're running into people now. Even cows have had <laughs> enough. Right. They're, they're crushing people now. That's right. You know, I'd, I'd, be, they, I'd, be, I'd feel very much the same way. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It does. Now that I listen to Why it. Why would you climb again? over a cow to get milk from a shop when you could get it from the cow? Well, exactly. Unless it's illegal to get milk from the cow. I don't for think some it reason. is. Is it? Well, why, why is it, it is it illegal? is it illegal here? Because you know how is uh, raw milk is illegal in the US. Oh, is it? Yeah. I didn't know that. I was watching a TV show last night. They were talking about. Well, that. how That's would how I, know I know that? <laughs> raw milk. Well, I mean, you could pasteurize it, and then it would yeah. be illegal. Correct. I thought you meant maybe it's illegal to remove it from the cow if you don't own the cow. Well, I assume that you're supposed to have consent. How do you get from... consent from the cow? You ask. Because if you ask those, you know, those mad vegans who go on about dairy farming being cruel, yeah. they say the cows don't give consent. Well, they can. They can say moo. <laughs> anyway. I think that will have to go in next week's Perry Awards. Yeah. <laughs> and on that bombshell, that's all for the Perry Awards. There'll be more next week. The Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid morning with Mike Graham, Talk Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.